0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Our sidewalk out here this week, and so thank him for doing that. And as he was doing that, Sister Margaret said, well, I'm going to, Cut off the dead heads on those rose bushes. And she grabbed the things I had in here and started trimming on those rose bushes. And so they were just out there, mother and son, just doing work here at the church. Amen. So thankful. Yeah, isn't that great? It's great. Amen. So we thank them for that today. Proverbs chapter 18. Amen. And verse number 24. Go ahead start roping off the back like five pews so I can keep you all more close together years ago that's the way they did it brother carpenters before they grew they roped off several back pews to keep the audience compact and as they grew they began to unrope it <clears throat> really really thinking about it very hard amen so so that you might sit by somebody act like you like somebody amen Proverbs 18 verse number 24 just one verse of scripture the very last verse of that chapter the Bible says a man that hath friends must shew himself friendly and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother a man that hath friends must shew himself friendly there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother this morning I'm just kind of in a mode here just want to talk to you about the chemistry of friendship today just want to talk about the chemistry of friendship amen hallelujah let's pray into the lord he'd help us in the next few moments father we come to you today god i'm great the oh lord god that you've met us here i pray oh lord jesus let your word god find us oh lord jesus in this place this morning god that you have a minister lord each and every individual lord god that is here today God, that we would, Lord God, give of ourselves and of our time. Lord God, to you in the Sunday morning service. God, we're so grateful, Lord Jesus, because, Lord, you have cared enough. Lord God, to come down. Lord Jesus, God, in the way. God, that we can recognize Jesus, you. Lord, bless your people today and will not fail to thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. The chemistry. The chemistry of of friendship he that he that a man that hath friends must shew himself friendly first and foremost I think it's interesting that this particular verse of scripture is in the context where just a few verses before it says whosoever findeth a wife findeth a good thing amen because even our marital relationships are built upon by and large friendships He was more than likely a friend unto that significant other uh, before you became married unto them, and so it's based upon friendship. Not only that, friends, friends, and friendship matter. Friends and friendship matter. Uh, a Gallup poll, a Gallup poll that was taken, research that was done, showed that close friends at work boost employee satisfaction almost by 50 percent. By 50%. Tom Rath, a global practice leader at Gallup, he explained why employees who have a best friend at work are seven times more likely to be emotionally engaged on the job. He says people with friends at work are 96% more likely to be extremely satisfied with their life. And so there is some type of positive. Positive force, positive connection uh, that has to do with having friends. And I believe that would probably uh, be true in the realm, whether you're at work, uh, within a community, or even within a community like a church community right here. They did a study many years ago based upon uh, more than 40,000 mega church attendees, 40,000 mega church attendees, and asked, if the, if the attendees don't feel connected, they tend to leave, but they'll stay if they have at least one thing has happened, and that is they have found a friend or a group of friends that will work for them. And so the power of friendship or the power of having a friend is very powerful on every level in society, not just work, but even the church world. There's power in it. They say that among the unchurched 55%, Uh, that that, that 55% said they would attend church if they were invited by a family member, and 51% said that they would come to church if they were invited by a friend. So there is power then in this idea and concept of friendship. Amen. And so I think it's important that we shoe ourselves friendly in order to have ourselves friends in the work world and in the church world. Now, here's the thing. We may claim to be friendly, Right. It's one thing to claim to be friendly, and another thing to be friendly. Uh, even as a church, you can claim to be friendly, but if the people that you're friendly with are those that are who already your friends, then that doesn't really necessarily gauge a big thing on the totem pole of friendliness. All right. And so, by virtue of that, by our own perception, we may see ourselves as friendly. Because we do that, we make ourselves accessible to others who we are already friends with. Amen. But to really be friendly would be reach out to those who are not already a part or in the church. Amen. To guests or anybody that may come and visit us to shew ourselves friends unto them. Amen. Isn't that right? Amen. In order to get to know somebody, you got to get to know somebody. Huh? Uh, sometimes you you ask questions, you kind of have small talk, whatever it may be, but in order to get to know someone, it takes a little bit of effort. It takes a little bit of work and so there is value in friends. But what we are up against in today's society is this. We have all these different means by which you can be friends without ever interacting with somebody face to face. right? We have all the social the social mediums of our world that people are, According to the, 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 the labels of them, we're friends. We're friends. They have conversation through digital life, conversation, might even have a picture, might even know what's going on in their life. Amen. But it's very, very surface. And if we don't watch it, those can become pseudo-friends, but become very, very real to us. Meaning this, that there were years ago that uh, there was a, a sitcom show on television uh, that was called Friends, And one woman was in total despair whenever it was going to be going off the air and they were having their final season because she said that those people that she watched, I guess, from week to week were more real to her than her own friends. And another woman had offered and said that I feel like I've grown up with these people. And so that was their significant relationships. That's what they, 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 these characters that were on a television show had become their quote unquote friends. But whenever you enter friendships like that, that's a very draining relationship because you're offering them everything that you can't receive from them. Huh? Right? significant amount of time and energy, but they're incapable of returning that, so to speak. Amen. Matter of fact, just this past week or so or a few weeks ago there at church camp was having a conversation with a few minister friends and they were telling a story uh, about uh, in their congregation that there was a woman that was constantly requesting prayer for a lady, constantly requesting prayer for a lady and was mentioning her by name and the pastor and his wife were just a little bit confused and have no idea who this lady was or what the connection was only to find out a little bit later that this mystery woman that needed prayer was a character on some television show on some television show that this person was involved in regularly watching and uh, this character in the show had fallen ill and this person was just so ensnared in the reality of being a part of this and that was their friend that they were requesting prayer for a fictional character. I know that might sound just outrageous, but it's truth. It happened. Amen. So I say amen. Amen. And So we got to be careful of the pseudo friends, if you will. But whenever we start to look at real friendships, and we might not consider this, but real friendships, I'd like to turn to the book of Job. Amen. Job chapter number 2 and verse number 11. I know we give Job's friends, as they were called, his comforters, a hard time, but they really started out right for Job and his life. They really started out right. And although they seemed to be flawed in the way that they spoke to Job and what they said to Job, well, welcome to true friendship because none of them are without flaws. And and so when we look at the book of Job, Job chapter number two and verse number eleven, the Bible says, "Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place: Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him." And when they had lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept. And they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now here is a man, of course, many are familiar with Job. He has lost livestock. He has lost health. He has lost his wealth. And yet the Bible says there are three friends that come to him. Now, number one, uh, in order to call, be called his friends and for them to come to Job in a time of need, uh, Job must somewhere in his history prior to this point has been friendly unto them, has made him their friends. There's something else, though, that's important. The Bible says when they heard of all of this evil that come upon Job, that they came, each one of them made an appointment to come to where he was. They heard everything that he was experiencing. They heard all of the loss that he had suffered in his life, and they came to where he was of their own accord. Job did not have to beck at them and call and say, Would you please come over? No. But whenever they heard about everything that Job went through, they went to where he was of their own accord. Accord. They showed up. Now that is a friend. They all had to travel certain distances in order to get there. And whenever they got there, they did what was appropriate, I would believe, for friendship. They came to mourn with him and to comfort him. Because what do we need at times in our life? We don't need anybody to tell us how this could have done went differently if we had done differently. We just need somebody to sit where we are sitting. Amen. And they mourned with him and they comforted him and they they lifted their eyes. They seen him afar off. They didn't quite recognize him. But whenever they came, it's not that they said anything. They didn't necessarily say anything for seven days and seven nights. It's like mum's the word. No one is speaking. They did not say anything. But what they recognized was that Job was grieving. They recognized that he was overtaken with grief. And so they didn't have to ask because they could observe. They were acquainted enough with Job. They knew what his normal manner was. And so they could tell that something was off. Something was not quite right. They've already heard anything, but they saw, the Bible says, his grief. So they didn't have to ask and they didn't have to say anything. They just sat there with him. Isn't that a tremendous friend? Don't have to speak a word. Just be there. Just be there. I have I've found in my life, uh, and you know, you enter into some particular circumstances uh, with church life. People lose loved ones, and uh, you're going to the home of someone that's just lost somebody uh, to death, uh, whether it be a mom or a dad or a cousin or uncle, whatever it is. And I have found out, Bishop, that whenever you go, it's not it, they. It's usually they'll never remember a word that you say in that moment. They'll never remember a word that you say. It can be the best of words that you frame together to speak to them, but that's not what they'll remember. What they'll remember is in that moment in time of their life that you showed up, that you were there. Amen. And so Job's friends, they they act appropriately. It's not what they say right now in this moment. It's just that they showed up. They heard it. They came of their own accord. They showed up. They didn't say anything. They saw it, and they just mourned with him, and they comforted him. Amen. Amen they were just there now later on in the scripture they begin to talk they would probably been better if they kept their mouth shut but they begin to talk and the Bible says that Job said that his familiar friends had forgotten him he even said that all my inward friends abhorred me and so well there is the two-edged sword of friendship they're not always perfect and if we are looking for a perfect friendship we're not going to find it on this earth amen But the fact of the matter is, we all kind of give and take that there's probably times that we are excel at being a friend and other times that we don't excel so much at being a friend. Amen. But that doesn't mean you throw away the friendship all together. Amen. So that's what it looks like to be a friend. Furthermore, we see in Scripture, because the Bible says, it told us that he that hath friends must shew himself friendly, but there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Amen. No doubt it could be relating to you and I, that that uh, spousal row of husband or wife. But also many times we've we've written songs about it, that there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother whenever we speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John chapter number 15 and verse number 13. Jesus states these words he's talking to them about an analogy of him being the vine and his disciples being the branches and how the branches cannot flourish unless they stay connected to the vine that the vine the 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 branches has to stay in the vine and the vine has to stay in the branch and he follows it up with verse number 13 he says greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. He says, Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. He says, Greater love hath no man than this, than that he would lay down his life for his friends. Now, whenever Jesus says this, our minds quickly go to the fact that he literally laid down his life through death for all of humanity, which was no doubt a picture of his love for us. And that should be considered. That should jump In our minds. But it also speaks this. If he's just speaking to the common man. We're going to have just a a world of dead people. If this is the action that we're going to take. In the literal form. But nevertheless it should be considered. And speak of, of one laying down their life. Or if you will their activity. Or if you will their actions. For another. It's that sacrificial account. Of Paul even saying. In the New Testament scripture. That he was willing to spend. And be spent for them. He was laying down his life for them. It's to do something with regard into one's life. A friend will lay down aspects of their life. And sacrifice themselves for another. Amen. As a matter of fact he said. And whenever you do this. He said you all my disciples. He says I'm not even called any longer my servants. Because. Because. You know what I'm doing. I'm calling you friends because I've not kept anything from you. Now, there you go. A friend doesn't keep secrets. Now, do they? Jesus says, I'm not calling you servants. He says, but I'm calling you friends because you know what I am doing. And that may be in part why Abraham is called the friend of God, the friend of God. Because whenever God was looking at Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis That they were plagued with wickedness and evil all throughout the land. He thought that he would go and he would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. But before he went straight to, to, to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy it with fire and brimstone, the Bible says that he passed by Abraham's house. And whenever he went by Abraham's house, he spoke a particular word uh, in going there. And I think this is important for our idea of Abraham being God's friend. The Bible says in Genesis 18 and verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? He was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the wickedness that was all throughout the cities there. But he said, Before I go, I wonder if I should just, you know, run this by Abraham. And tell him the thing that I'm... What was he doing? He wasn't going to have any secrets, if you will, from Abraham. He was sharing with him something that he was about ready to do. And that may be a primary reason then why Abraham is called the friend of God. Because he knew what the Lord, even in this moment, was about ready to do. Someone say amen. So in our lives, it's important for friendships... I think personally, just just for some personal advice. I believe it's great to have friends that are older than you, the same age as you, and younger than you. Amen. You need you need friends that are are older than you, so they can act as mentors, soundboards for your life. You need friends that are of the same age as you, peers, if you will, so that they can relate to you in your generation. And you need friends that are younger than you so that you can become a mentor and a teacher in somebody else's life. And it gives you a sense of responsibility to not just live your life unto yourself. Amen. Not just to live life unto yourself. Now, when we start talking about to whom you show yourself, he that have friends must show yourself friendly, then it goes to reason if you are befriending something or being friendly with something, then you are, in a certain way or manner, asking it to be your friend. Someone say, "Amen." Asking it to be your friend, and so with that, we're not just talking about relationships among man and man, but relationships with God and relationships with things that oppose God. To who, whatever you show yourself friendly, will become. Your friend, the old statement used to be, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future because the friendships that we make, they will have influence in our life. They will have influence in our life. You, you put two people together. And there'll be certain aspects of that one's life to affect the other and certain aspects of their life to affect the other. The the positive outcome would be this. All the positive traits of one life, if me and Fred was friends, all the positive traits of my life would affect you and your positive traits would affect me. But the sad reality is that it doesn't always work like that. It doesn't always work like that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 24, it tells us to make no friendship with an angry man. Verse 25 says, because lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. I believe what the writer of Proverbs is underscoring. It could have been angry man, lazy man, prominent man. It could have, the, the man could have been anything. Any type of adjective could have been in front of the man. The fact of the matter is this, that when you have friendship with something, that you will more than likely learn some of the ways of whomever you are friends with. Mm-hmm. And if it's positive things, yeah, that's going to help build you up. But if it's negative things, that may turn you in direction that will maybe hurt your friendship with God. Amen? Could hurt possibly our friendships with the Lord. Now, Jesus in his earthly ministry had friends of all kinds of different segments of people. He didn't just befriend the disciples. The Bible talks about him eating with and befriending many of the Pharisees. Amen. But we know from scripture that his key to befriending these was so he would be an influencer in their life, an influencer in the relationship. And so I think it's important when we enter friendships, we got to ask ourselves the question, am I entering this relationship to be influenced or i entering it to influence? Amen. And so he was doing it for the purpose of influencing. Because when you discern, when you enter a friendship and you discern that you've switched from being the influencer to the influenced, especially Jesus with Pharisees, then you got to step back and ask yourself a question. Am I making compromises I'm really willing to make for this relationship? And is it healthy? Someone say Amen. But the Pharisees in Jesus' day, before before Jesus' day, the Pharisees there was all kinds of them. They had split. They just kind of like some good, <laughs> they like some churches. They had split more than once. About seven or so different times, seven different groups of Pharisees had split over various doctrinal issues. There were some that were more liberal. There were some that were more uh, conservative. However, the ones that we read of in history that Jesus befriended were more uh, so those that were in compliance with his belief and with his teachings. And he was trying to steer them more into the truth of who and what he was. And so he became friends with them to try to influence them and have a foothold in their Life, Try to have a foothold in their life. Amen. Because he wanted to have a positive influence on their life. I believe that would be our our motive of uh, operation with any friendship. We want to have a a positive foothold in their life. But I say all this to say this. you got to be careful who you become friends with. Because influence can go two directions. It can go two directions. And here is a good barometer. If you find yourself more so befriending and trying to be friends with those that do not hold your scruples in your morals, that you flock consistently more to that area, you might need to back up and question, what is my motive in all of this? What is my motive in doing this? Because James 4, 4 says that a friend of the world is enmity with God or is an enemy of God. Let me go to the actual uh, Bible book of James, chapter number 4. The Bible states it like this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, and the reason why it leads with that is because whenever this this relationship that we're in with the Lord is like a husband-wife relationship, the church being his bride, his wife, him being the groom, and to be unfaithful to the Lord is to act as then an adulterer or an adulteress. As a matter of fact, in the manuscripts, the old manuscripts, the adulter part is not even in there because that's a male, because it's denoted it's his bride. We're really dealing with the female counterpart. He said, ye adulterers and adulterers, know ye not that a friendship of the world is enmity with God. The word enmity means you're hostile toward God. You're in opposition to God. And whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And so we got to ask ourselves, are some of the things that we involve ourselves in worth losing that friendship, that friend that sticks closer than a brother, that friend that laid down his life for us? Are we are we willing to go to that particular distance of losing friendship with the Lord? Amen. I think not. That we're not in that, in that place to want to do so. Amen. Because he has been there. Think over the process of your, your life. He has been there whenever nobody else knew where you were and you were in that position. He was kind of like some of Job's friends. He just showed up. And he, he, he just remained with you during whatever it was that you were going through at that time. Even when nobody else knew. He sometimes came and didn't say a word but you knew he was there. Amen. Didn't have to say a word, but you just knew that he was there. He recognized, amen, that something wasn't right with you, and he was there just to comfort you, to mourn with you as you mourned, and, and, and to deal with whatever it was that you were dealing with at that time because he sticks closer than, than a brother, the Bible says, than a brother, than a blood relative, than a blood relative. He'll show up and be that close, amen, and stick closer to you than a blood relative. Amen. And so back to this idea of influence, we got to be careful about the friends we have because it has influence on our lives. From my understanding in Scripture, some friends can have so much influence over you, they can have the same type of influence that family would have on you. So here, seriously. The Bible states in Deuteronomy chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 13, and verse number 6, the Bible states these words, If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, look, it throws in the the friend in amongst all of these family relationships, or thy friend, which is at thine own house, at thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are around about you, nigh unto thee or far from thee, from the one end of the earth, even to the other end of the earth, thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken to him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him. Interestingly, among that that list of family relationships and family ties, it inserts in thy friend. Amen. Meaning that the power and the link of friendship can be strong enough, even as a family relationship, that it can have such influence over your life, it can persuade you in a direction that you need not to go. And so it's important then who we befriend and make our friends. You say, Brother McGee, then all of our friends need to be church-going people. Absolutely not. No. Amen. Jesus even didn't practice that. We need to be friends to one and all. But you need to be the influencer in the relationship. You need to be the... You need to be the influencer in the relationship. It's not you in that relationship for the purpose of adopting their ways, but you're in the relationships in the hopes that they would adopt your God's ways. Amen. Whoever, it would bear to reason, whoever. You spend the majority of your time with. That's your friend. That's your friend. If you spend X number of hours, if you were to do a spreadsheet and say, I've spent that much time, that's probably a pretty good indication. You can say whatever you want to about them not being. But if you spend most of your time with them. That's your friend. Amen. Amen. We can take that from a very literal thing to even a a church God thing. You know, our words sometimes betray what we do. If your time with the Lord is X, Y, and Z, then man, you, you probably love the Lord, appreciate the Lord, so on and so forth. But if it's just a proclamation and your time involved with him doesn't match what you say, then we got a discrepancy here. Someone say amen. We got a discrepancy here. He told them in John, he said, You are my friends if ye do what I command. It's actually, if you keep doing, if you keep doing what I have commanded. Because what happens whenever you receive the phone call, and it's that person that is your friend on the opposite line, and they need help. Most of us, it doesn't matter what we're doing in the moment. We're going to drop it, right? We're going to go to their aid. We're going to help them, Mike Trout, to the best of our ability, everything within our power to do so. We don't look at their request so much as a command because we're in relationship with them as a friend. We just see it as a friend in need. And we go to the, the ends of the earth to do it. If you were to call me this afternoon, of course, you don't live way out yonder anymore. You're in my backyard. But if you were to call me this afternoon and say, Brother McGee, I got a flat tire out here. I don't have a jack. I don't have a spare. I'm going to hop in my vehicle right in the middle of the day. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm going to drive wherever it is that you say you are. I'm going to bring a jack, man up, whatever we got to do in order to get you on the road. Am I, do I feel like I've been impositioned? No. You're my friend. And so, whenever things like that happens, and we do feel in position, that might call a card on whether or not our friendship. Well, God is good. I love Him and adore Him. The Bible says in First Samuel chapter eighteen. This is probably the most uh, most profound. Uh relationship of friendship in Scripture. The Bible talks about all types of covenants in Scriptures, the David covenant, the covenant of Abraham. Amen. This is a covenant right here. Friendship was a covenant in Old Testament times. Friendship was a covenant, a covenant. And where we read it in 1 Samuel chapter 18, this is the friendship covenant of J- Jonathan and David. All right. This is after David is slaying Goliath and the Bible says, and it came to pass that when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Note this. What they are striking here is a covenant of friendship. And in order to do this, Jonathan is giving unto David. This is commonly something that would happen. Given to David his robe. His robe. Jonathan... Is a prince of Israel. His father is king. He is in line to be Israel's next king. His robe and his vesture identifies who he is. He's a prince. He's a man of prestige and honor and dignity. But whenever they enter these covenants of friendship. It was typical for them to exchange garments. In other words. David would put on quote-unquote, Jonathan. And Jonathan would put on David. Now consider the exchange here. David, he's just been to war, but by and large, he's just a boy out in the pasture tending the sheep of his daddy. His garment's quite pale in comparison to that of Jonathan. It doesn't show the, the regal, you know, office that Jonathan had, but they switched garments. They became friends because when they did, it was in essence one putting on the identity of the other. So that now David's cloaked in this royal regal robe. He has the identity of royalty. He has the identity of being the next one in line for king. And Jonathan has humbled himself by putting on the garment of a shepherd boy. But each of their garments were their identity. They were putting on each other's identity. See, that's what happened whenever we, God, became our friend. But Bible says he humbled himself even to the form and the fashion of a man that when he walked among us among his 33 and a half years upon the earth, he put on humanity. He put on the flesh of humanity. But he gave us his identity in return those of us who were and all of us for that matter who were flawed and mistake written whenever you are baptized into christ you put on christ covenant of friendship now i wear his identity and he took my identity to the cross amen now think for a moment are you willing then by old testament custom Those who you are friends with, are you willing to take on their identity? Well, you don't even go, though, just stop there. The Bible says that Jonathan also gave David. He gave him what? Gave him some instruments of war, didn't he? The Bible says he gave him his sword and his bow. So he's not just giving David his, his, his natural garments, but he's given him his weaponry. And there would be that exchange between both parties through a covenant of friendship. What did that mean? That meant this, that Jonathan would now then defend David and that David was going to defend Jonathan. Man, let me state it more properly maybe. That David was worthy to be defended by Jonathan. And Jonathan was worthy to be defended by David. They felt comfortable going to the defense of one another. Is that important? Yes. Because just in the last chapter, chapter 18, whenever David's going to go slay Goliath, the Bible says, what does Saul do? He offers David his armor. And David says, no, I've not proved it. I can't keep it. You know why? David wasn't willing to defend the character of Saul, but he was willing to defend the character of his son, Jonathan. He wasn't willing to enter in friendship with Saul, but he was with... And here's the thing. David had the choice who armor he is willing to take and thus who he was willing to defend. No, I can't take yours, but he takes his son's Jonathan because he felt like Jonathan was worthy enough to defend, but not so much Saul. Someone say amen. Chemistry of friendship. Amen. If you'll stand with me this morning. Judah had a friend in Hira the Dulamite. And to show the noteworthiness of that friendship, Judah had done wrong in going into what, unbeknownst to him at the time, was his daughter in law, having a relationship with her. She posed as a harlot. Alongside the road and he had relations with her and given unto her was a pledge of Judah's signet he gave to Tamar and his bracelet he gave to Tamar and his staff he gave to Tamar and he was going to make good on this relationship that he had from her and in order to do so he had to send a goat unto her and receive all those things, his signet, his staff, his bracelet back to her. You want to talk about someone being intimately involved in your life. Judah doesn't go do this himself. He sends Hira the Dulemite, his friend, with this very sensitive information about his life to go and secure his signet, bracelet, and staff back from this woman that he had had these relations with. Now, I'm not underscoring the relationship that he had with Tamara. I'm underscoring the fact that he entrusted somebody with those very, very secretive, intimate areas of his life. And we need a friend like that, not just humanly, but you have a friend like that in the Lord. So if you're going to have friends, you must you yourself friendly. My question to us today is to whom are we showing ourselves friendly? In a very natural sense, in a very spiritual sense, to whom are we showing ourselves friendly? It's kind of like, you know, as kids in their teenage years and they grow up and you catch somebody, you catch these kids as they grow up, teenage years, they flirt. Sometimes they even don't recognize it. And you said, We've done it before. My wife and I've done it before. Some said, You interested in such and such? No, I'm not interested in them. They're just, you know, just acquaintance. Whoo. So you awful flirtatious. No, I wasn't flirtatious. Then you start to name some things and things that you observe. They're like, Oh. We don't watch ourselves, we can become flirtatious with things that we have no intention of pursuing a relationship. But it may be sounding something quite different to someone on the opposite end of that. I've seen boys with saliva at the edge of their mouth because some girl was being friendly, but she was just, you know, it wasn't nothing to it, Brother McGee. But there was a different language being spoken on his side of the fence. we got to be careful what we are befriending. Because while you're looking like no harm, they might be seeing a relationship in the future. We bow our heads in this place this morning. God, I love you today. I need you, oh, Lord. I pray, oh, God, help me, oh, Lord Jesus. God, to befriend the right things in my life. God, help me, Lord Jesus, to have the right motive and the right purpose. Help me, Lord, to be the influencer, I pray, oh God, rather than the influenced. I pray, oh God, today, Lord Jesus, God, you're that friend that sticks closer than a brother. I pray, oh God, help me to take upon your identity. Help me, oh God, to defend Lord Jesus. Paul said he was set for the defense of the gospel. He was set for the defense. He had made a friendship, Lord. He was set for the defense of the gospel. I pray, oh Lord today, God, that you're able to touch our hearts and our souls. Let our motives, God, I pray, Lord, you would search us and know our heart, try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in us, oh Lord. God, search us, oh Lord, today. Help us, Lord, to be kind and compassionate, Lord Jesus, to mankind. Help us, oh Lord Jesus, I pray, oh Lord, today. Day, God, to eschew, Lord Jesus, evil, God, and cling to those things that are good. I pray, oh, Lord, if we would just abide in you and you and us. I pray, oh, God, help us, God, not to keep secrets. God, if you would not keep, Lord, secrets from us and render us as friends, help us, God, in return, though we can't literally keep anything from you. Help us, God, not to live our lives, God, as some, Lord, falsehood. God, as though we were, Lord, keeping secrets. I pray, God, to be an open book before you. God, we need you lord jesus today god in those regards hallelujah hallelujah you just got a course on your mind here brother mason oh, that's all right yeah. all right thank you jesus hallelujah 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 can we lift our hands all across this place hallelujah hallelujah we need to find a friend in the lord we need to find a friend in the lord we need to find a friend in the church We need to find a friend in the world. We need to find a friend among the concourses of our family that we can have a positive influence in. God, I don't want to have any negative influence on anybody. And I don't want to be influenced negatively. But God, positively, Lord Jesus, upon the lives of your people. Hallelujah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah.